Americans. Welcome to part five of Alabama Public Radio's podcast, No Stone Unturned. The APR News team spent nine months investigating the preservation of slave cemeteries in Alabama. When APR News set out on this undertaking, we knew that job one was to deal with misconceptions in a highly polarized world. Concern number one was that the issue of slave cemeteries was easy to ignore. APR News arranged for Len Strozier to do a ground-penetrating radar scan of the historic Old Pruitt Slave Cemetery near Tuscaloosa. It was then that this quiet, isolated two-acre patch of land started giving up its secrets. Just walking around. See, there's one right there. And that took less than a minute. Right now, I see an air pocket where a body was buried in the ground. As the body's placed in the ground, if it's not embalmed or protected with a vault, everything breaks down. It degrades, decomposes, including the wooden casket. Strozier runs Omega Mapping Services in Fortson, Georgia. APR News invited him to scan this two-acre spot near Tuscaloosa. We're at the Old Pruitt Slave Cemetery. It was set up in the 1820s by John Welch Pruitt, a local plantation owner. The one unmarked grave Strozier found was just for starters. A more complete total came later. In less than 30 minutes, 40. It's just walking around. I've seen 40 burials out of here. There's a handful of tombstones and plain burial markers at Old Pruitt, nowhere near the number of graves Strozier found. And this isn't just an issue involving the dead. There are the living as well. That was in part one. Misconception number two was that the U.S. Civil War ended over 200 years ago, so it's not a contemporary issue. That's when APR News sought out former world heavyweight boxing champion Deontay Wilder. His home in Northport near Tuscaloosa is next door to the old Pruitt Slave Cemetery. He just didn't know it when he moved in. His neighbors told him. You know how uh, when you move into an area and the neighbors come and meet you, greet you with pies and cakes. Instead of dessert, Wilder's neighbors brought something else. I got greeted with, uh, with uh, important information. I got, I got greeted with uh, historic information. This was Wilder's first ever interview about his connection to Old Pruitt. He recalled the stories he heard about Civil War plantation owner John Welch Pruitt and the slave cemetery he set up in Northport in the 1820s. It's amazing to know that I have an 1800 graveyard like literally behind, like on the side of me. It doesn't spook me out or nothing like that. That was in part two. Misconception number three is how easy the process of tracing family roots can be. We put our listeners in the shoes of African-American families searching for the burial sites of their enslaved ancestors. Ethel Alexander helped us out on that. She's past president of the Birmingham African-American Genealogy Group. Alexander explained that before 1870, most records on enslaved Africans in the U.S. were just bills of sale. Say, for instance, uh, uh, a planter, he dies, and they have to sell everything. The first thing they sell would be their slaves, and they're listed just before the animals. So it's your chattels, and then it's your cows, your horses, and your uh, chickens, and whatever. So we didn't really have names except for the first names they would give you. You heard about Ollie Ballard and her effort to find her great-great-grandfather's burial site in Huntsville. Ethel Alexander says even if Ballard finds the slave cemetery she's looking for, she may face another problem. They may not see anything but a rock. They may not see nothing but a tree. You know, you're not going to be able to go say, oh, that's my grandfather's 
great, 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 great slave. That was in part three. Misconception number four was that slavery is only a southern issue. I flew to New Jersey to visit a slave cemetery in the township of Bridgewater and to speak with the man who lived next door to that burial site. No, I had no idea. Uh-uh. It was a surprise. Christopher Montefusco lives on Foothill Road. Yeah, no, it's crazy to think New Jersey that this far away. So I was totally shocked, totally blown away. Montefusco wasn't surprised that I was here to talk about the Prince Rogers Slave Cemetery. It's in his side yard. The tombstones are within view of the goalie net Montefusco's son uses for soccer practice. We had a little bit of work. We put this pathway in because there was no pathway. So that, you know, um, when we had the dedication back in um, September, we had like... Lorraine Allen shows us Prince Rogers' tombstone. It's the largest in the cemetery. The names and dates are worn away and harder to read. Both that marker and the smaller ones have parts broken off. Alan thinks it was local teenagers. And I guess they were drinking, and they decided that they were going to take the stones, and they literally lifted them up out the ground and just threw them all over the cemetery. So now we head into the conclusion of No Stone Unturned. Here we take a look at the issue of getting people, both black and white, to talk about sensitive racial topics like slavery. A gentle rain was falling during our visit to the old Pruitt Slave Cemetery in Northport near Tuscaloosa. We began our series on preserving slave burial sites here. This two-acre cemetery was set aside by plantation owner John Welch Pruitt in the 1820s. All right, so what I'll do to let you see, give you an idea of how it looks. That's Len Strozier. He runs Omega Mapping Services in Forts in Georgia. APR News invited him to use ground-penetrating radar to do an underground scan of old Pruitt. There it is, right there. And the length of that's probably anyone from a 10-year-old baby or a, a woman, a lady that's smaller stature. Strozier found 40 unmarked burials within a half hour. He says he also noticed how they were buried. Someone was managing this cemetery, and it's not just bodies thrown out there like grass seed. They are very meticulously, and the depths are pretty similar, too. The only reason any of us are here today is because someone came before us. We also met Patricia Kemp earlier in our series. She believes some of her ancestors are laid to rest at Old Pruitt. I want to know who I'm related to. I want to know uh, where I came from. I want to know about slavery. I want to know what they went through because they went through a lot for me to be here. And answers like these may take more than ground-penetrating radar. The body's decomposed, the hair, teeth, bone, everything is pretty much gone. Len Strozier says his equipment can confirm that someone is buried at Old Pruitt, but it won't reveal who that person is. Strozier says that would take clues uncovered by something closer to archaeology. It could be a sole of a shoe. It could be, you know, a, a button off of a shirt. And that kind of work will likely take time and money. Congress has been working for three years to pass the African-American Burial Grounds Preservation Act. If the measure becomes law, it's supposed to provide grants. But there may be things that dollars can't buy, getting people to talk about slavery for one. You know, our students often come into the classroom in college uh, having 
not been exposed to the history of slavery in the North, and especially the history of slavery in New Jersey. Dr. Jesse Baker teaches at Rutgers University. We spoke with him as APR visited the Prince Roger Slave Cemetery in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Baker says many of his students hear for the first time how 11,000 slaves were held in the Garden State around the year 1800. It's a surprise to many of them that slavery was uh, an important part of New Jersey's early development, of New Jersey's economy. Not only did New Jersey enslave Africans, but it was the last northern state to free them following the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. Founded in 1766, Rutgers is the eighth oldest university in the entire country. The subject of slavery became more than a topic of classroom discussion at Rutgers back in 2016. An online petition is calling on Rutgers University leaders to change the names of buildings that honor slave owners. It has nearly 4,000... A series of books released for Rutgers' 250th anniversary focused on the school's own ties to slavery. An enslaved worker helped build the campus. Rutgers' first president owned slaves. His family once held famed abolitionist Sojourner Truth. Jesse Baker says the university is confronting its role in slavery, but not everyone in New Jersey is. The people who feel uncomfortable with looking at that history or acknowledging it, um, I think they have their own um, journey uh, and their own road that they need to go on to um, to deal with the fact that, no, we're going to keep talking about this. We're going to keep um, acknowledging this history. So we're, we're not going to sweep it away on, under the rug. They kind of need to see I mean, we could put a few up here. And the hesitancy to talk about slavery may be complicating efforts to preserve slave burial sites both in New Jersey and here in Alabama. You might recall our visit to the Alabama Cemetery Preservation Alliance and its 20th annual workshop north of Huntsville. You can find first names of enslaved people, the slaveholder. That's where we met Ollie Ballard. The retired magnet school principal is working to find the burial site of her great-great-grandfather in Huntsville. She says records that identify slaves only with numbers or first names make it tough. And uh, if it was you, it would just say Pat and maybe age 37. But that's all the information you will have on him. Ballard's great-great-grandfather was enslaved in 1842. She says one thing she's tried is to talk with the families of former plantation owners for clues to his final burial site. But getting the descendants of slaveholders to open up to families of the enslaved hasn't been easy. Uh, many times when we make a presentation, we hear things like, but I didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, you know, that was long before. They're not going to say slave cemetery. They're not going to say nothing. They're just going to, that's where we buried them at. We also heard from Ethel Alexander earlier in our series. She's the past president of the Birmingham African-American Genealogy Group. It's the largest organization in the state that helps African-Americans in Alabama trace their roots. Alexander is researching her own family tree, and she says she knows the roadblocks and the frustrations. There's a lot of things we take that we don't like to take, but we take it anyway because, um, we just don't have the strength to fight it, you know. But, yeah, it's frustrating, and it's sad, and it's hurtful. But Alexander says that frustration involves more than just white people who don't want to open up. She uses her own family as an example. Yes, we talk among ourselves. We do. And the way I'm talking to you may be a little different than the way I might talk with my daddy. <laughs> you know, and he did not talk a lot. And I was thinking about that uh I think about that often because they never talked about um, growing up too much and what was going on and 
all of that. That was always kind of not talked about. It's other people who may not want to talk that has Alexander concerned. She says her family tree has a possible branch in Florida. Alexander doesn't know what kind of reception she'll get when she goes looking for access to those burial sites. What can I do? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's on this, you know, very rich, rich people own it. You know, it's owned by this big company. What are they going to say? Would they help me get to it? You know, I'm scared that they're going to say, well, sorry. One sign of how far Alabama has come, or not, could be next week. Voters head to the polls on Tuesday. One ballot item could do away with the practice of slavery in the state. It's still in Alabama's Constitution 157 years after it was abolished nationally. All that uncertainty may be just one issue as Alexander and others work to make sure there's no stone unturned. I'm Pat Duggins. Thank you for tuning in for No Stone Unturned. We had production assistance from WRSU-FM at Rutgers University and WBUA 23-TV in Tuscaloosa. Special thanks to APR's Joe Moody and Nala Pena. Our John Welch Pruitt ghost story was told by Allison Hetzel. Our podcast producer is Caroline Vincent. Alabama Public Radio's other offerings, like When Vanya Came Home, can be found wherever you download your podcasts.